Saturday right then. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> hey y'all, and welcome to Do the Kids Know. Um, I guess that's it. Hey, Kristen. <laughs> hey, Prakash. Okay, uh, on a scale of the classic Disney princesses, how are you feeling today? I don't know how to answer that because I don't know who's at the top of the scale. I mean, obviously, Tiana's at the top of the scale. But, like, who's at the bottom? Ariel? Snow White. Oh. Or, like, no, Sleeping Beauty. The other sleeping one. Why are there two sleeping (laughs) ones? (laughs) For what reason? Because women be sleeping? I guess. Women don't have agency. They don't need to be awake. Um, whoa. I mean, I guess Tiana, she's black. Okay. She also a frog. From most I know, because they had to make the black one an animal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of uh, black women, today is June 30th, and we'll be asking, do the kids know about movements started by black women? Uh, in the effort to combat the erasure of the work of black people, black women in particular, we're going to take a look at some of the movements started by black women that have radically changed the way our society functions and thinks about its inherent problems. And this is going to be a very Kristen-heavy episode. Uh, bless. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Kristen, uh, you've laid out some great examples here to get us started. Um, so why don't you take it away? Uh, okay. I think uh, first we'll start with the... Me Too movement started by Tarana Burke in 2006, and it aims to help survivors of sexual violence find pathways to healing. So it originally focused on Black women, Black girls, and other women of color from low-wealth communities, and her vision was to address the dearth of resources for survivors of sexual violence and to build a community of advocates who could create solutions to interrupt sexual violence in our communities. So at its core, The movement is about looking to hold perpetrators accountable and implement strategies for strategic change. Uh, I think we need to talk about this movement because it's been given a spotlight thanks to celebrities, popular media, but I think that that spotlight has also changed what Tarana wanted her movement to be. Um, If you go to her website, which we will link in the show notes, she talks about the inspiration for the movement and oh my gosh, read it if you want to cry, but also read it so that you know where she was coming from when she started this. It wasn't just about holding people accountable. It was also about holding survivors and helping them find ways to continue to live and to continue to survive in a society that nine times out of 10 victim blames them for speaking out against their abuser. And when you're in a low income, low wealth community, you can't necessarily speak out about your aggressor. Like Tarana's story is about a young girl whose stepfather abuses her. How does she have the tools to know A, it's abuse and B, how to overcome it? She goes home to a house with her mother and her stepfather, and he's the one of using her. Like, how does she, as a young girl, have resources to be in a better situation? She doesn't. And that was really the impetus that started this movement. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I think that popular culture has made it so that this movement is now, let's call out people, but not hold the survivors and help them be better and help them heal from the abuse that has been done to them. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, hearing you articulate uh, the origins of this movement in this way, I think for me, it really brings to light kind of the differences between, um, like, I'm not sure what wave we're on now, like third or fourth wave, like uh, white feminism or white-led feminism mm. versus the kinds of like, grassroots feminism that came from like black and black lesbian organizing Mm. um from the 60s uh, onwards and because yeah i think a lot of that movement if you think of like the writings of the um the kitchen table press um bell hooks uh gloria and zaldua uh and company a lot of it has to do with like yeah this specific population like black women other women of color people from like low wealth communities um, and doing these work together to really like, support one another versus uh, the contemporary understanding of Me Too has a lot to do with uh, with visibility. Yeah. Uh, which is how a lot of like white feminists operate is like through visibility, which is not to say that that is uh, ineffective or not feminism or not the, not the right feminism. Like that is not no. at all what I'm trying to say. But I think when you do the work, because I think, yeah, Me Too, the contemporary Me Too has been very popular because of how um, how mainstream media and social media have been able to cling on to this, like, very, not, yeah, I don't want to call this a trend, but it is kind of like a trendy, like, it's a slogan, like, it's catchy, like, these are things that are easily uh, taken up by the media and by social media. And so it becomes really easy to be like, oh, yes, I, too, have been a, have been a survivor of sexual violence. Uh, I, too, have been victimized by my coworkers, by my industry. And I think all that's really important. But the people who Toronto Burke was trying to reach uh, in 2006 onwards uh, are not people who have the kinds of platforms and not people who have mm. visibility. Uh, being a Black woman, being a Black girl, being poor um, almost necessarily means that you do not have visibility. And by getting such visibility, uh, you can die. If you think about how many um, Black uh, trans women and trans women of color have been murdered, you know, like uh, this year alone already, like it's astronomical uh, most of these people are killed by people they know um, by domestic partners by family members and that's not something where it's not as easily dealt with by going on twitter saying yes i as a famous celebrity of uh, no matter what race yes yes me too um and now you have a network to do the work of accountability or hopefully but if you are like yeah, and how you, how you explained it, if, like, if your father or your stepfather or someone who is, like, in a... Your uncle, like, somebody who's really, like, close to you, you know? Yeah, like, you cannot, like, often... I think we're going to get into, into one of your other topics, but it is extremely difficult to be visible in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in that respect, I think the original intent of Trying to Bucks Me Too and this contemporary uptake of Me Too are at odds and are not doing the same kind of work Uh, but i think they are serving different populations but i think we need to think about how to do all of this work um together and not lose one movement for the other yeah i wish like not that i wish that more people would come out and say me too but i wish that those people who did say me too when they did would take that next step which is like for Tirana, it wasn't just, I'm a survivor of sexual violence. It was, I'm a survivor of sexual violence, and let's work together to be better together, to heal together. Let's work on resources. Let's create a community of people who we can now hold each other and support each other as we heal from this trauma together. And I think that that second part 
is what is missing from the contemporary Me Too. It's become, I also am a survivor of sexual violence, and here's the person who we need to persecute for survive, for abusing me. And not that we shouldn't persecute them, we should, but we should also create a space for survivors to heal together. I think that that was the point of the Me Too movement when it was created by this Black woman who nobody really talks about now because we're all talking about which um, famous man in Hollywood has abused people. Uh, yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, I yeah, I think also when we look at these two Me Too's, um, the contemporary uptick of it, I I think it also is effective when you're trying to think about yeah, what are your end goals. So if you're trying to compare it to um, trying to box Me Too, yeah, they're not really uh, comparable in that way, but um. I think it has been effective in creating these more mainstream conversations about how like sexual violence is everywhere, how common it is. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that people who don't talk to women know this while we're having this discourse about uh, gender. Mm. Do you want to take us to our next movement? Yes. So the next movement I want to talk about is Girls Like Us, started by Janet Mock in around 2012. And it really came from the need to stop identifying transgender, transsexual, trans women in a way that was clinical and in a way that wasn't about them, but about like the box that society would want to put them into to make them make sense, according to like heteronormative definitions of gender. So according to Janet Mock herself, um, Girls Like Us began as a means to connect all willing trans women across color, generation, sexual identity, and class. Um, and it really started out of conversations that she was seeing between, like intergenerational conversations between trans women and trans girls, um, where the older generations were, I don't want to say subscribing, but the older generations were using the clinical language. So I'm transgender, I'm transsexual, I'm a trans woman, but the younger generations just define themselves as girls. They're girls, but with a little something extra, or they're girls with a little something else. Um, and Janet felt like the best way to bridge that intergenerational conversation so that the younger girls could learn from the older ones and the older could learn from the younger is to bring them all together under this movement. Um, so however you identify, you are a girl like us. Um, and I thought that that was really empowering. Um, so the movement itself has gotten some backlash, though, because it was taken up by a lot of popular trans women of color spaces. And so it was named as being an online campaign to empower trans women of color. And that made trans white ladies mad. Um, and they felt that they were being excluded from a movement that was about them, um, which I think is funny. And I think that we should discuss um, because Janet Mock has literally been like, I have a quote from her and she says the mere existence of a new hashtag where some trans women find solace and sisterhood should not threaten anyone to the point that they are attacking it, which is what happened when trans white ladies were upset that it was being called a movement for trans women of color. Yeah, I mean, this is also unsurprising to me um, because this is the same way that um, people react to 
specifically white people react to anything they think may exclude them or they feel excludes them because um, in the West, such as Canada where we live, um, in the U.S. where Jinnamak, um lives, uh, yeah, you know, the way the white supremacy works um, and the way the white supremacy influences, influences the media is that everything is about white people, everything centers whiteness, um, even our depictions of non-whites um, are made in a way that centers whiteness um, or that puts it in opposition to whiteness or in comparison to whiteness. Um, you know, this is why we have, like, you know, hashtag all lives matter, right? Um, because as soon as you do something that doesn't include us or is explicitly explicitly not about us, that's not okay. It's all about inclusivity, right? And that's a very, like, neoliberal kind of attitude towards it where it almost seems rational like oh like of course like we should have a space for all trans people but then when you really think about the specific experiences uh the gender mock faces as a trans woman of color like of course yeah to me all this makes sense but i think think that's basically it like yeah that doesn't surprise me but i think that um if depending on you know like what community you belong to if you don't feel included in a movement um, find two friends who fit your same community and make your own. Like, there's nothing stopping you. Like, but it's what doesn't make like, sense is the need to attack someone else for not including you if their mandate is not about you. Yeah. It's it's also that, like, her mandate wasn't not about them. Her mandate was, let's create a space for trans women, trans girls, however they identify, to come together and talk and share experiences. Um, but because spaces for trans women of color also adopted this movement, white women were like, "Mm, no, you can't have this alone. When no one was saying they wanted to have it alone, they were just saying, because Mm. this exists, we now have a space to talk. I think that it just, like, girls like us and the way that it, the backlash against it and the way that it changed highlights white fragility in a way that I don't like. Yeah, I think this could also, like, warrant a whole other conversation about white people's occupation of um, LGBTQ plus spaces in general. Mm. Um, But, yeah, I think my last last and only point about this is that this is kind of silly. Um, Let people have their joy uh, as long as, you know, if it doesn't infringe on anyone else's. And if you want in on that joy, you can ask, hey, like, can I be a part of this? Um, and if the answer is a, is a respectful no, um, you can do it on your own, like us, this podcast on our own mm. without sponsors. Mm. But if you would like to sponsor us, please <laughs> get in touch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> look at all this ad space. Okay, so. Um, we have been at this for a little bit and uh, discussed a lot, and there's a lot more to discuss, so much that um, I think we're going to split it into another episode. Yes. Um, but before we wrap, before we wrap up today's conversation, Kristen, why don't you give us one more movement started by a black woman? Okay. Um, that means we're going to end a little bit heavy today because we're going to talk about why I stayed which was started by Beverly Gooden um, in, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Beverly, I'm so sorry if I'm not, um, in response to that horrifying domestic violence video of 
football player, ex-football player, I don't know if he's still playing, um, Ray Rice beating his wife in, I think it was an elevator, and then out into the lobby of the hotel um, that was released by TMZ in 2014. Um, and it, Beverly saw all of the victim blaming happening because, of course, the first thing people did when they saw this very large man beating on his very small wife, who was clearly going in and out of consciousness in some parts of the video, was blame her for staying with him and blame her for not leaving him instead of being like, why is he beating his wife? Um, so this movement, the Why I Stay movement, is meant to show that leaving a situation of domestic violence can be really hard. And it's easy as people who haven't experienced it to say we would leave or to question why the person on the receiving end of domestic violence doesn't leave. But as Beverly has said, leaving is a process and there are so many factors that go into it. So this movement is meant to show that there is power in storytelling, there is power in shared experience, there is strength in community. And for those who have lived through or are currently experiencing domestic violence, Why I Stay offers them a space to share their experiences, to get tools for how to leave and to find strength in community, to find strength together. Um, I wanted to bring this up because it really highlights that we need to stop victim blaming. Oh my goodness. She created a whole movement, felt she had to create a whole movement because people saw this video of this very large man beating a woman so badly that she was going in and out of consciousness. And the first thing they thought was an, oh my gosh, let's arrest him for beating her or let's find some way to bring justice because he beat her. It was, why is she with him if he beats her? That, what? I, what? Yeah, I think the rhetoric uh, is very similar to how we, um, like the rhetoric around rape culture. Yes. And um, the questions that are asked are often around um, what was the victim doing, right? What were you wearing? And, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate to, yeah, you know, six years later, I think we're still kind of like in this idea of like, if you're unhappy, leave, um, without really understanding the difficulties uh, in doing so. I'm just going to list like, like some of these, like some of the ways uh, in which it can be difficult, but um, there's obviously, like, you know, everyone has a, has an individual uh, experience and circumstances um, that I'm not trying to collapse in the, you know, in these few moments. So, for instance, like, um, if, yeah, your, your, like, intimate partner is abusing you, um, but they are the breadwinner, right? How will you leave? Yeah. Where will you go? So, abusers will um, use manipulation tactics to get you to um, believe that only they will be, be able to care for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, they will manipulate you into cutting ties with your friends and family. So um, often you might not feel that, that there's that there's anywhere to go. Um, they might be making uh, all the money. They might control your finances, even if you do make money. Often people will threaten to kill themselves or harm themselves if you leave them. Often periods of abuse will be followed by periods of like deep forgiveness or sympathy or like what looks like love and affection. So it can be very difficult, like kind of psychologically to leave them. And people, yeah, like love their abusers, right? Like you didn't get with them for no reason. They probably didn't start abusing you like when you first entered the situation. But it's a kind of a situation that that develops over time. And yeah, it can be 
like logistically, mentally, emotionally, it can be very difficult to leave. If you have children together uh, or pets or like um, if you if you've like built a home together and whatever that, that whichever way that looks like, uh, it could be difficult to leave. I think something needs to be said there that like not all men are abusers. Women are abusers, too. There are abusers in all genders. And I think that why I stayed is also a way that we can highlight that it doesn't matter who your intimate partner is or who your partner is or who your abuser is to you their gender doesn't matter they can abuse you in many shapes and forms abuse takes many shapes and forms and there are many reasons why people who are in these situations can't leave these situations Mm -hmm. intimacy comes in lots of ways this could be a roommate a parent another kind of guardian a sibling It, it can take many forms but um I think most often this conversation does revolve around um, someone with whom you share a domestic partnership. And so thinking of like domesticity now, I think um, we need to ask like very serious questions in relation to how we think about um, dealing with domestic violence in the era of COVID-19 in this pandemic when we are all confined to our homes and people are confined to being alone with their abuser. Um, So in Canada, uh, these stats come from Aura Freedom International. Uh, So between March 15th and June 25th, in Canada, 14 women uh, who are also mothers have been uh, brutally killed by their partners uh, during lockdown. And this is uh, specifically in Canada. So that is not uh, an insignificant number. If these are the numbers of reports of people who have died... Uh, think about all the people who have not died, but have still suffered uh, abuse, uh, verbal, mental, physical. So uh, in an earlier episode, we talked about police abol- police abolition. Um, and so we already know, I guess like, like the two of us already know, but maybe people, um, um, most people probably don't know that police don't really do much to stop uh, domestic violence. Um, they might come to intervene uh, if, let's say, a neighbor uh, or someone calls in the house to report domestic violence, but often uh, the abuser may or may not be removed from the home for a short period of time, and then they will return and cycles continue. Cops also perpetuate victim blaming because a lot of, like, I have heard myself, cops refer to domestic violence victims on calls in derogatory ways um, because they take this like savior mindset and they get mad when people who are being abused don't use them or uh, and by them I mean the cops don't allow the cops to arrest the person who is abusing them or when cops come to answer a domestic violence call and the person who has been abused doesn't do the co- the thing that the cops want them to do, they will perpetuate that the victim here is not doing the right thing when they don't actually know what the right thing is for that person. Yeah. Um, there, there are also cases where the people who have been abused get further um, victimized and brutalized by officers themselves. Yes. Um, people who are abused and have children uh, can risk having their children uh, taken away. Um, yeah, that's a very complicated situation. And um, in the show notes, I'm going to link to an article uh, from the UK's Independent 
titled Why Abolishing the Police and Turning to the Community Won't Protect Women. And I think it's worth uh, spending a little extra time thinking about how we can uh, either do the work ourselves to try to uh, help vulnerable people in these situations or what kind of demands we need to place on our governments uh, to implement social programming that does this work on a more uh, systemic level. Yeah. Um, I think that we also, in Canada specifically, need to do the work when we think about these systems and how we change these systems to understand that people who are abused by a partner in low-wealth communities are generally already on some sort of list as a welfare queen or somebody who is abusing the system. And so they're being monitored by the cops, they're being monitored by welfare agents, and they're being monitored by the people who live in their community with them. So there's, in addition to I'm being abused, it now is also I'm being abused and surveilled. So we need to overhaul these systems entirely so that the surveillance doesn't feel negative and the surveillance helps people and it feels positive. Yeah, and a lot of this rhetoric around the welfare queen, uh, around people... um calling um, the police for domestic violence uh, often uh, centers around uh, indigenous and racialized um, families. So uh, keep that in mind. So I guess to wrap up, I'll just say that there are movements that we haven't detailed here. Um, Black Lives Matter, which we've spoken about before, Say Her Name, Black Girl Magic, Bring Back Our Girls, and those were all started by Black women. And they have changed our society, they've changed the viewpoints of many, but they be super Black. So we'll talk about them in another episode where we can give them the space that they deserve. Um, And we also didn't talk about, like, Oscar So White, which we will talk about in a future episode because so many things be so white. And we really want to talk about how white Canadian media really is. So stay tuned for that. Um, But really, I think I'll end this episode by saying that this was to remind you that these movements that we talked about were started by Black women. These hashtags that everyone is using were started by Black women. And we need to be mindful of the origins of these movements, of the original intent of these movements, when we share links, when we share resources, when we continue to use the hashtags and to talk about the movements in the contemporary understanding of them. Yeah, so as we continue the work and as we continue the unlearning and the really like talking to ourselves and talking to our friends and talking to our family, talking to our networks about these movements, we need to be mindful of the original intent and the way that contemporary media has changed the uses of these movements. You can find us on these here internets at dothekidsknow.ca. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon, where we would love it if you could drop us a donation so other kids can stay in the know. Search the handle at Do The Kids Know. Have you got questions, comments, concerns? Email us at dothekidsknow at gmail.com. And finally, please rate and review. That helps other kids stay in the know.